If you weren't with us last week, I highly encourage you to get a copy of the CD or listen to online when we went through verses 35 through 39. I think those passages are are literally life-changing. It's something that when I first started to read it and grasp it and understand it, I tried to apply it to my life, and it really is life-changing. This idea of getting up in the morning, if you take a look at verse 35, Now when the morning had been risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. I cannot stress to you enough the blessing of that. If you weren't with us last week, I encourage you to get online and listen to it, get a copy of the CD, and I hope you're as blessed by that when you apply that to your life. So we're going to pick it up here tonight in verse 40. It says now in verse 40, Now a leper came to him, imploring him, kneeling down to him, and saying to him, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus moved with compassion, stretched out his hand, and touched him, and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. As soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy left him, and he was cleansed. And he strictly warned him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go your way, show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing those things which Moses commanded as a testimony to them. However, he went out and began to proclaim it freely and to spread the matter, so that Jesus could no longer openly enter the city, but was outside in deserted places, and they came to him from every direction. Verse 45 is always kind of interesting to me. When Jesus tells somebody not to talk, in the Gospels they go out and talk. Jesus finishes the Gospels telling us to go out and tell everybody about Jesus, and then we clam up. I just find this interesting. When Jesus says not to talk, people talk. When he tells us to talk, we have a tendency not to. Human nature is quite interesting. But jumping back to verse 40, the leper. This is something that is a theme throughout the Gospels, these ideas of the leper. Now, what exactly is leprosy from a biblical definition can be a lot of different skin diseases. Most of the time when we think of leprosy nowadays, we think of this infectious bacteria. In Leviticus chapter 13, and if you're looking for a really interesting read, Leviticus 13 is one of the most interesting chapters in the entire Bible. It goes through step by step how the priest would figure out if you had leprosies or not, to the point of the color of hairs that are growing out of the skin lesions. It's a fascinating chapter. So you go read that and you get this understanding of what he'd have to go through to figure out if they had leprosy or not. It was a long process of confirming it. Once it was confirmed that you had leprosy, your life completely, utterly changed. To the point that the Jews looked at you as literally the walking dead. You would rip your clothes... So you'd have to walk around with ripped, torn clothes showing mourning and weeping. And you would have to yell out, unclean, unclean, anytime you saw somebody. This was your life now for the rest of your life. You have to move outside the camp. You had to live alone or live with other lepers. No human contact, not being around your wife, not being around your kids, not being around anybody else but other lepers. Walking around in ragged, torn clothes, yelling out, unclean, unclean. Some rabbis even taught that you weren't even allowed to wash your face as a leper. Now, what would happen with this disease is it starts out with just some simple spots. Those spots then spread throughout your whole body. Next thing you know, your hair is falling out. Next thing you know, your gums are starting to loosen and weaken, and so the teeth start to fall out. Then your fingernails and toenails would probably fall off. To the point that you lose nerve feeling, so you don't even feel pain anymore, your joints loosen, and in extreme cases, sometimes your fingers and limbs start to fall. It's an awful, horrible disease that back at that time they had no absolute cure for. And you wouldn't feel pain. It would attack your nerves, so you wouldn't feel a lot of pain. You add to this all the extra rules the Jews put on it that are not in the Bible they put on it, is that you were not allowed to greet lepers. You're supposed to stay so many feet away from lepers. In fact, one rabbi taught, if you see a leper, throw stones at them to make sure that they don't come near you. 
This was a disease that literally changed your absolute entire life in ways that you can't even imagine. It was an awful, horrendous disease. In the Old Testament, we have one recorded healing of a leper. You know the story of Naaman. Other than that, we don't know of anybody else. There were some moments where God gave leprosy to people for like an instant. I think of Miriam, Moses' sister. But this idea of a long, drawn-out disease, no. There's not this idea of a cure. And Naaman's the only one we know of that has actually been healed by that. So for this leper to be healed, this is amazing. Look at the wording here when he comes. He comes to him in verse 40, kneeling down. So you see his posture is a posture of humbleness. And you see him also imploring him. Imploring is such a strong word. Some of your translations say beseech. Some of your translations say beg. This word carries such a deep meaning. It means help me, comfort me. I'm begging you, strengthen me. I mean, this is like an absolute utter despair. This is not, hey, I implore you, could you bring me back something from the kitchen? This is a deep word where this man realizes his only hope is in Christ Jesus. There is no other hope. There's no cure. There's no healing. There's nothing. He's got one shot with Jesus Christ. So he runs to him, breaks all the rules, kneels down in front of him and says, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Now, if Jesus was any other type of rabbi at this time, he would have ran away from this guy. As we said, some of the other rabbis would have thrown stones at him. Instead, Jesus, in verse 41, moved with compassion. Moved with compassion. That word compassion is a very, very important word. Now, if you have NIV out there, it doesn't say compassion. It says, like, moved with indignation. It's actually, I think, a bad translation because it makes it sound like Jesus was angry and maybe he was angry at the disease, angry at this man's suffering. That's really not a good translation. He was moved with compassion. Now, once again, this is where our English language sometimes is very weak. There's multiple words for compassion in the Greek that we don't really have. So when he's moved with compassion, this is the strongest word for it. It means to be moved deeply. You're moved so deeply from the gut, I guess, if you will. This is not just having pity on him. This is not just feeling bad. There's other words in the Bible that mean that. I I just have pity on you. I feel bad for you. No. Sometimes you see a need and you feel bad for that person. You see, you go home and you tell your spouse, Hey, I ran into so-and-so. I feel really bad for them. Maybe say a prayer for them. That's not moved with compassion. Maybe you see something. You know what? I want to do something to help. You see one of those little commercials on TV and next thing you know you're sending in your 20 bucks to feed the kid for a month. Okay, you you feel bad, so you're going to sacrifice a little bit. That's not moved with compassion. This word for moved with compassion means, I'm going to get involved in your life. I'm going to get so involved with you to help you. Not just send you some money now and then, not just to say a prayer for you, not just feel bad for you. Because look what Jesus did, 41, stretched out his hand and touched him. Boy, Jesus broke the rules. He touched him. Now, I'm not a real emotional guy when it comes to this type of stuff, but I like to put myself in the story. That's one of the things I learned as a very early Christian. was Pastor Craig teaching, put yourself in the story. And I started to think about this, this guy. When's the last time somebody touched him? When's the last time? If he lived with other lepers, maybe. But he has not had that human contact touch and we don't know how long. What state of leprosy was this guy in? We don't know. Maybe it was pretty quick, maybe only a few spots, and he'd been outside the camp. Maybe his hair had fallen out, maybe his teeth had fallen out. We don't know. Maybe he was already starting to lose digits. We don't know. 
But he was touched by Jesus Christ, who was moved with compassion. So the first point here I want you to understand is, do you have the compassion of Jesus Christ? This word for compassion is used mostly in the Gospels here, and it's mostly about Jesus. Jesus had compassion when he fed the 5,000. Jesus had compassion when he fed the 4,000. He had compassion with the leper. He had compassion with the demon-possessed boy. And he had compassion with the widow whose son had died. See, this, this is the amazing part about Jesus. We read in Romans, we're supposed to weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. Jesus did that. He stopped and said, these people, the 5,000, are hungry. The Bible says, I moved with compassion for them. So I'm going to feed them. Remember what the disciples said? Send them away to go get food. Feeding of the 4,000. I moved with compassion. I'm going to feed them. I'm going to do something. The widow who lost her son. Think about this now from a biblical standpoint. She's a widow. She has no man to help her at home because she's a widow and she also does not have her only son anymore. She has nothing left. Jesus was moved with compassion. I want us as a church, as a body of Christ, to move past pitying people, feeling bad for people, and saying, I'm just going to do a little bit. I want us to be moved with compassion when we see somebody. And stop and say, I actually want to get involved with them and really represent Jesus Christ to them. Go with me to 2 Kings 4, please. 2 Kings 4. Why aren't we moved with compassion more often like Jesus was? Oh, I think there's a lot of reasons. Big one's probably time. I don't have, too, I don't have enough time to be moved with compassion. I got to do this, I got to do that. Work's busy, I got to get the kids here, I got to get the kids there. I mean, I would really love to help out more people. I'd really love to get involved in service and ministry. I just don't have time. I've made myself so busy with the things of this world, I no longer have time to show the compassion of Jesus Christ. Why else don't I want to be moved with compassion? Well, maybe I have the time, but I'm selfish of my time. I don't want to go touch dirty, disgusting lepers. I've had people come up to me before over the years, and we talk about different ministries, and they say, Pastor, I'm willing to get involved. They said, there's just a couple things, they say. They said, I really don't want to do nursing homes. I said, why? I said, oh, I just, I don't do well at nursing homes. And I'm thinking, who does do well at nursing homes? Yeah, so I just, as long as I don't do nursing homes, I'm thinking, you know what, God's going to call you to nursing homes, because that's what the Lord does. If you're sitting here tonight saying, I want to be moved compassion, but I don't want to work with teens, guess where God's going to call you? I don't want to do nursing homes. I don't do hospital visits. I have this understanding that usually when I say, Lord, no, God says, well, then it's going to be a yes. Because compassion is being moved to people that you normally would not want to associate with, be around, or spend time with. This leper could have been in a very, just let's just be blunt, disgusting state. And Jesus still touched him. As we joke out here a lot, I want to be a missionary to the upper middle class. That's sometimes not where God calls us. And we need to be willing to do that. So what does this have to do with 2 Kings 4? 2 Kings 4 is with time over the Shunammite woman. Now what happens in 2 Kings 4 is this. Elisha is the prophet that's going on. And there's just the Shunammite woman. And she has moved in her heart saying, Hey, Elisha comes through here a lot. Let's set up a prophet room for him. We're going to put a table in there, a lamp in there, and a bed for him. So when he's passing through, he can come stay. So he's staying one time and he goes to this woman and he says, Listen, you've been such a blessing to me. Is there anything that we can do for you? And she goes, nope, nothing. Then Gehazia, Elisha's servant, says, she doesn't have any kids. And what happens is her husband's too old. She's not able to have children. And Elisha says to her, you know what? In a year from now, you're going to have a kid. Look at her response. Verse 15. So he said, call her. 
When he had called her, she stood in the doorway. Then he said, about this time next year, you shall embrace a son. And she said, no, my Lord, man of God, do not lie to your maidservant. Verse 16, she says, don't lie to me. Don't, don't tease me about this. Verse 17, but the woman conceived and bore a son when the appointed time had come, of which Elijah told her. Amen. Verse 18, and the child grew. Now it happened one day that it went out to his father, to the reapers, and he said to his father, my head, my head. So he said to his servant, carry him to his mother. When he had taken him and brought him to his mother, he sat on her knees till noon and then died. Died in his mother's arms. This child that was a miracle, this child that had been prayed for, is now dead. 21, she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God, shut the door upon him and went out. Then she called to her husband and said, Please send me one of the young men and one of the donkeys that I may run to the man of God and come back. So he said, what are, Why are you going to him today? It's neither the new moon nor the Sabbath. And she said, It is well. Then she saddled a donkey and said to her servant, Drive and go forward. Do not slacken the pace for me unless I tell you. So she departed and went to the man of God at Mount Carmel. Now, we don't know the exact distance of where, you know, if you've ever been around mountains. Mountains are pretty big. So is he on this side of the mountain or that side of the mountain? And here she was. She lived in the area of Shunem. What part of it? So this could have been maybe close to 20 miles away, just to kind of put a perspective there. Could maybe been a little longer. Could have been shorter. We don't know the exact distance. So a pretty good travel distance back then. So she gets to Mount Carmel. So in verse 25, So it was when the man of God saw her far off, he said to his servant Gehazi, Look, the Shunammite woman, please run now to meet her and say to her, Is it well with you? Is it well with your husband? Is it well with the child? And she answered, It is well. Now, she's now said twice, It is well. Her son's dead. But it's well. Now look what happens in 27. Now when she came to the man of God at the hill, she caught him by the feet. But Gehazi came near to push her away. But the man of God said, let her alone for her soul's in deep distress. And the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me. So she said, did I ask a son of my Lord? Did I not say, do not deceive me? She's saying here, listen, did I, did I ask for this? If you were just going to give me a son to see him come take away in death. I didn't ask for this. I don't want this hurt. I don't want this pain. I don't want any of this. Now, this is not the point of the study tonight, but it's something just to chew on. She says in 23, it is well. She says in 26, it is well. And then in 27 and 28, there's a little bit of a different response. And to be honest, I think this is human nature. Some, sometimes, guys, I have faith that I think I can move a mountain. And other times, it's like, Lord, I don't know if i got enough strength to get out of bed today. I appreciate the honesty of the Bible with this. There's going to be times that you're going to look at yourself in the spiritual mirror of life and you say, Lord, whatever comes my way, I'm able to stand up against it in the name of Jesus because I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. And then there's going to be other times that you're grabbing the prophet's foot in tears saying, I can't. Aren't you thankful that God is faithful even when we're faithless? 29. I said to Gehazi, get yourself ready. Take my staff in your hand and be on your way. If you meet anyone, do not greet him. If anyone greets you, do not answer him, but lay my staff on the face of the child. And the mother of the child said, As the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So he arose and followed her. Now Gehazi went ahead of them and laid the staff on the face of the child, but there was neither voice nor hearing. Therefore he went back to meet him and told him, saying, The child is not awakened. When Elisha came into the house, there was the child laying dead on his bed. He went in, therefore, shut the door behind the two of them and prayed to the Lord. And he went up, 
lay on the child, put his mouth on his mouth, his eyes on his eyes, and his hands on his hands. And he stretched himself out on the child, and the flesh of the child became warm. He returned and walked back and forth in the house, and again went up and stretched himself out on him. Then the child sneezed seven times, and the child opened his eyes. Then he called Gehazi and said, Call the Shumanite woman. So he called her, and when she came into him, he said, Pick up your son. So she went in, fell at his feet, bowed down to the ground. Then she picked up her son and went out. It's an amazing story. Amazing story. Now, the reason I took you to this is why. Jesus was so moved with compassion that he was willing to touch the leper. We've taught on this before, so you may remember this point. A lot of times in ministry, we, we don't want to touch him. Verse, verse 34, that I, that's kind of uncomfortable. I remember the one time I taught this to my boys. And classic little boy laughter. Mouth on mouth, eyes on eyes, hand on hand. They couldn't get past that. Here's a grown man laying on top of a boy that's dead. What do we want to do? I want to do verse 31. Can't I just touch him with the staff? That's so much easier, Lord. I don't want to do this deep, in-depth ministry with people because it takes up my time. It's, It's gross. It's difficult. It puts me in awkward situations, and I have to do this and that. I just want to touch him from a distance with the staff And God says, no, you're not understanding compassion. Compassion is, and please, not literally, you you lay on the person. Compassion is you get involved with their lives. Compassion is you probably have them over. Compassion is you're taking the phone call at midnight. Compassion is you're going to sit there and go through it again with them and give them the same verses and the same scriptures and the same love, and you're going to pray for them again. Compassion is I'm going to go touch the leper. It's not just touching with the staff. So what I have seen in ministry is this. You got the people that talk a good talk. But they really don't do anything. Then you got the people that are willing to take the staff and touch them. Amen. But what the Lord is looking for is for you willing to say, Okay, Lord, I'm going to touch the lepers. I'm going to touch the spiritually dead. And I'm going to go out there and show compassion. And the Lord is going to take you out of your comfort zone. And the Lord is going to take you places that you never thought you would go. And the Lord is going to say, trust me in this. And next thing you know, you're going to see such amazing ministry because you're willing to go out there. And not just touch them with the staff, but get out there and get involved with the spiritually dead. And say, I'm here to represent Jesus Christ to you. Just like Jesus touched the lepers. It's an amazing thing. That's the definition and depth of compassion. And I want us to really grasp that. Any quick questions on compassion and understanding here Jesus and the leper or or the servant there, uh, excuse me, of Elisha and the dead son? We good so far? Okay. Now, he comes back to the leper, 41. I am willing to be cleansed. And as soon as he has spoken, immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Now, I don't know how else to say this. I kind of hope this was a farther along progressed leprosy. Because this would have been amazing to see. I mean, it would have just been amazing to see. There's times in the Old Testament where God used leprosy to get someone's attention. Stick your hand out, the hand became leprous. Put your hand back in. Stick your hand out again, the hand was completely healed. If this guy was in a farther, long, progressed state of leprosy, I mean, he immediately could have looked different. We're talking hair back. We're talking teeth back, or maybe talking limbs back, digits of fingers, I should say. It's unbelievable. 
to think what this miracle could have looked like. And then Jesus has the audacity in 43 say, don't tell anybody. Man, I I don't want to run home to my wife. I don't want to run home to my kids. And Jesus says, no, don't. 44, go to the priest. Go to the priest. Go to the priest. And there's this long progression now. Week plus long progression of what has to happen when you are healed of leprosy, when the leprosy is gone. Can you go with me now to Leviticus 14? Leviticus 14. Now, I'm just going to be honest. I'm not going to name names. Some of you out here do not like the Old Testament. Right now, you don't even know where Leviticus is. You're trying to find it. You're looking at Leviticus 14, and you're like, why am I reading this? I want to tell you something. Please remember what Jesus said. The whole book is written about me. When you get to a chapter like this, the best thing you can do is say, I just want to look for Jesus. There's a reason why Leviticus 14 is in here. And there's a reason why, as we're in Mark chapter 1, Jesus references, do what Moses said back in Leviticus 14. Now, if you don't like the Old Testament or you say it's too hard, I don't get anything out of it. Okay, I want you just to do this. We're going to read just to the first, I think, uh, eight verses. I want you to think New Testament as you read the Old Testament. And I want you to think of this as a game. What do these symbols mean? What do these clues mean? How can I see Jesus in this? Because when you look for Jesus in the Old Testament, all of a sudden the Old Testament becomes alive. And you realize that this chapter is a chapter about Jesus. So, ready? Let's play the game. Leviticus 14. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, This shall be the law of the leper for the day of his cleansing. He shall be brought to the priest. Now I'm going to stop right there. We only have Naaman being healed in the Old Testament. As far as we know, this never happened. So when this guy shows up at the temple and says, Hey, I've been healed of leprosy. What do I need to do? I bet you these priests are doing a lot of head scratching. And it's like, somebody get me the scroll from Leviticus because I don't remember what we're supposed to be doing with this. As far as we know, this never happened. Never happened. We're talking 1,500 years. Never happened. That they've never had to use this. I mean, if you're a typical guy, you probably got like a tool in your garage. You're like, I know I got it somewhere. Where is it at? And you're trying to find it. I envision these priests going, I don't remember what we're supposed to do. So what is it supposed to happen here? Three, the priest shall go out of the camp and the priest shall examine him. And if indeed, if the leprosy is healed in the leper, then the priest shall command to take for him who is to be cleansed two living and clean birds, cedar, wood, scarlet, and hyssop. And the priest shall command that one of the birds be killed in an earthen vessel over running water. As for the living bird, he shall take it, the cedar wood and the scarlet and the hyssop, and dip them in the living bird in the blood of the bird that was killed over the running water. And he shall sprinkle it seven times on him who is to be cleansed from the leprosy, and shall pronounce him clean, and shall let the living bird loose in the open field. He who is to be cleansed shall wash his clothes, shave off all his hair, and wash himself in the water that he may be clean. After that, he shall come into the camp and shall stay outside his tent seven days. But on the seventh day, he shall shave off the hair of his head and his beard and his eyebrows. All his hair he shall shave off. His body, excuse me, he shall wash his clothes and wash his body in water, and he shall be clean. 
And on the eighth day, he shall take two male lambs, etc., etc., etc. Now, if you're reading that, and you're just looking at it as Old Testament, you, didn't, you don't see it. If you look for the New Testament in it, now, this, this is exciting, okay? Verse 3. Outside the camp. Remember, lepers had to live outside the camp. They weren't allowed to be with people. Okay. Jesus was crucified where? Outside the camp. He was, they, they had to take him outside of Jerusalem. That, it was not right to kill them in Jerusalem, so the Bible says he had to go outside. Okay? So this is a picture of us living outside the camp. Our sin keeps us from fellowship and relationship with God. We are outside the camp. The priest shall examine him. The priest... The priest comes to him. He can't come to the priest. He's unclean. The priest has to go outside the camp to the leper colony. Jesus had to come to us. We can't go to him. And if the leprosy isn't healed in the leper. Then verse 4. Two birds, cedar wood, scarlet, and hyssop. Let's work backwards. Hyssop. Just think of all the times hyssop is in the Bible. Hyssop was used on the Passover. They had to take hyssop with blood and go up along their uh, doorpost. Hyssop was offered to Jesus on the cross that they put a drink on hyssop and put it up to him. Psalm 51, uh, David said, purify me, wash me clean like hyssop, with hyssop. Hyssop in the Bible always represents sins being taken care of. Scarlet, scarlet should ring a bell with you. Isaiah chapter 1, though your sins are like scarlet, they should be made white as snow. And Matthew, in Matthew 27, they put a scarlet robe on Jesus before he went to the cross. Cedar wood, I think that represents the cross. So we got the cross, we got our sins being taken care of, and we have scarlet, red, taking care of our sins. Now we got two birds. Now look at five. Isn't that five fascinating? One of the birds be killed in an earthen vessel over running water. Say, what? So the priest is taking a bird putting in a vessel, dumping water on the bird, and then kills the bird at the same time. Okay, Corinthians tells us that we are earthen vessels. Jesus became downed as a human in an earthen vessel. Jesus died as an earthen vessel, but yet the running water over the bird kept the bird clean, just as Jesus was killed as an earthen vessel, but he stayed clean. So you take the blood of this dead bird now, and you take the blood and you put it on the living bird, the cedar wood, the scarlet, and the hyssop. You dip them in this blood seven times. Seven in the Bible represents completion. And then what do you do in verse 7? The other living bird gets set free. You're set free now because of what Christ did. The symbolism is just absolutely amazing. So then now you get to uh, 8. You now are a new creation in Christ. So guess what, guys? Wash your clothes, shave off the old hair, wash yourself in water, and you're clean. You're going to look like a newborn babe. No beard. Think about this from a Jewish male perspective. No beard, no hair, clean clothes. You've been walking around in torn clothes. All of a sudden now you are completely shaved and brand new clothes. You're a new creation in Christ. And what do you do as this new creation in Christ? Well, then verse 10, yeah, you now you need to do a couple sacrifices of lambs. And we're going to not get into all the detail of that because we don't have the time to get into it. But what happens is what you're going to see with this sacrifice of lambs is now you have the lamb and now you have in verse 12 oil. Look at verse 13. He shall kill the lamb in the place where he kills the sin offering. See, now the first sacrifices with the birds happen outside the camp. Now you're back in the temple. Now you're back in the temple where the lamb is sacrificed. 
um, and a holy place, for as the sin offering is the priest, so is the trespass offering is most holy. The priest shall take some of the blood of the trespass offering, and the priest shall put it on the tip of the right ear of him who is to be cleansed, on the thumb of his right hand, and on the big toe of his right foot. So now you come in, and they offer this sacrifice, and they put a little bit of blood on your right ear, your right thumb, and your right toe. In the Bible, right represents place of honor and strength. You are right. So now that blood, what is that supposed to represent there? You now hear different. You now do things differently with your hands. And you now walk differently. You're a new creation in the Lord. The blood of Christ changes how you listen. It changes how you do things. It changes how you walk. It changes everything. Because you have been changed by the blood of the Lamb. Verse 15, And the priest shall take some of the log of oil and pour it into the palm of his own left hand. Then the priest shall dip his right finger in the oil that is in his left hand and shall sprinkle some of the oil with his finger seven times before the Lord. Oil in the Bible represents the Holy Spirit. And then what happens is now the oil gets put on your right ear, on your thumb, and gets put on your toe. Now, that's deep. See, you want the anointing of the Holy Spirit, but you've got to get your sins taken care of first. You can't have the anointing of the Holy Spirit until the sin problem is taken care of. How many people want all the benefits of a relationship with Jesus Christ without their sins being taken care of? They want the warm, fuzzy feelings of church. They want the peace of God. They want the Holy Spirit upon them. I want you to be Jehovah Jireh, provide for me. I want all the benefits of a Christian. But I don't want to deal with the ugliness of sin. If you want the anointing of the oil, you first got to get the blood on you. And blood is messy. And blood is gross. And you're going to take blood of a lamb on your ear, your thumb, and your toe. But you have to have that blood first before you can get the oil put on you. Then as this kind of moves on here, it leads up to the point of where the next thing they do in verse 19 is afterward he shall kill the burnt offering. If you have never studied out burnt offering, burnt offering is a fascinating picture in the Old Testament. Burnt offerings were not required for an individual. It was a free will choice that you would make. And a burnt offering, the entire animal is burnt up. See, a lot of times with the other offerings, you only do certain sacrifices of this and that. Burnt offering means everything except the hide of the animal is burnt. It shows complete, utter dedication to God. I give you everything, and Lord, you totally consume me in everything. So this guy, this leper, over a span of a week, week and a half here, he had the priest come to him on outside the camp. The bird is sacrificed. That is spread on him. The bird then is set free, the second bird. He is now shaved and cleansed, new creation. Comes back in, offers up the lamb, blood on his ear, his toe, and his thumb. Then oil on his ear, his toe, and his thumb. Then he offers the burnt offering. And now he is ready to go back to being complete access to the nation of Israel. And this is a picture of us. We were outside the camp. The priest had to come to us. The priest had to make us a new creation in Christ. We had to be set clean by the blood of the Lamb. And then we're anointed with the oil of the Holy Spirit. And then we are a burnt offering, totally consumed by the Lord. And then we have access to the temple and to who God is. I love this stuff. Absolutely love it. And as you get into some of these books like Leviticus, and you start reading this, you're like, what am I supposed to get out of it? I don't know. That's what makes it so amazing. Because when I read it, it's like, this is pretty cool. What are you trying to tell me, Lord? And Jesus is referencing this back now in Mark chapter 1, verse 44. Show yourself to the priest. Offer for your cleansing those things which Moses commanded as a testimony. And that's what this guy would have done now. 
It's just neat to put yourself in that perspective, to put yourself in that picture there. Any quick questions over Leviticus 14 or just understanding here what God asked us to do from the cleansing of the leper and understanding the symbolism of it? We all good on that? John. What's that? You're talking about in 14? Um, if the leprosy is healed in the leper, verse 3, he's going to go out and examine him. Right. Right. Here's the deal with symbolism. Symbolism opens up light to help us understand it more, but we also got to be careful that we also don't make it legalistic as well, too. And that's where you have to remember there's also the practical application of going back to Leviticus 13, that there could have been an individual that says, hey, I think the leprosy is gone. Well, let me examine you first. Because I'm assuming there'd be somebody that would be hopeful. I'm assuming there's somebody that would try to cover it up. I'm assuming those things would have also happened as well, too. I think we forget that there is armed security around the temple. And if a leper tried to get into the temple, they were put to death. And there was actually, I should have brought it with me, and I, I, I got it back in my office. They actually had inscribed on the temple, they've actually found these stones of basically saying, and I'm paraphrasing here, if you're a leper, if you're a Gentile, if you're this or if you're that, if you cross this point, we're going to kill you. So, I think there probably could have been lepers that tried to say, hey, I think I'm better now. Just don't look on this hand, you know? Because this is such a huge deal. It is such a huge deal. And I encourage you to go back and read Leviticus 13, how you see this progressing. The guy finds one spot. And next thing you know, it's changing colors. It's got funky hairs. And the priest comes and says, I think it could be. So I'm going to put you in isolation now for seven days. I'm going to come back and check again. So I come back and check again. I mean, there's this examination that's going on. So I think it just literally means that. You say you're healed of leprosy. Let me come out and take a look at you and see. Gavin. Yeah. Some truth to that. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, Matthew 7 there, where many say to me, Lord, Lord, and God knows the heart. That's a good point. That's a very good point. Yeah, Mark. But... Mm-hmm. Messiah is here. Right. No, and I. Right. Oh no, and I'm not disagreeing with that at all. And I think it would be a witness to the priests. And that was one of the points that we're going to get to here in a little bit. This priest has to stop and say, "How is this possible?" And if you remember correctly, in some of the other. Uh, I think of the blind man that was healed, if I remember correctly. And he came before the Sanhedrin and they said, who did this? And he said, I don't know. 
And basically, the, the Sanhedrin didn't want to accept this healing. These purpose of these miracles are supposed to be eye-opening to these people. So whatever priests who are on duty are going to have to stop and say, hey, you're not going to believe this. And one of the commentators I was reading about this, said, can you imagine the discussions that happened when the priests changed shifts at the temple? You won't believe what happened today, guys. What happened? We had a leper come in that was healed. A leper? Yeah. We had to go find the scroll to figure out how to do it. We had a leper come in. That's not... I know. How did he say that? He said, there's this guy by the name of Jesus. And all of a sudden, it's just glory. And it's this miracle. And, and, and next thing you know, this testimony is going out. I think it's an absolutely amazing thing. Absolutely amazing thing. So I think it's pretty cool to stop and think that these priests had to stop at this moment and stop and say, do we believe that this man was healed? Are we going to go investigate? Are we going to stop and look into this guy by the name of Jesus that is now healing lepers? Because that's not possible. I think this is absolutely amazing. Yeah, Kathy. Right. Right. The priest might have. You touched a leper. Um, I heard a teaching one time, and the pastor had a great title to it. It was, never invite Jesus to your funeral, because Jesus ruins funerals. Um, there's the story of the guy carrying the coffin out of town, and Jesus goes up and touches it, and the guy's healed. And once again, that, that would have been unclean for a Jew to have to do that, to go up and touch the dead. But it's not for Jesus, because Jesus brings life. There's a great verse, I believe it's in Second uh, Timothy. Let me read it here real quick. Talk amongst yourselves for just a second. Um, I believe it's in Timothy here where it's just this idea of Jesus bringing life. Yeah, Second Timothy uh, 1, you don't have to turn there, 9 and 10. It says, Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose, and grace which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began, but has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So yes, Jesus touches unclean lepers and they become clean. Jesus touches death coffins and they become life. That's just what Christ does. And then these priests have to stop and say, how are we going to explain this? It's just amazing. Amazing, yeah. Um, yep. There, there's a lot of scarlet. Scarlet Rahab, she was saved by a scarlet cord. It carries the idea of salvation there. Scarlet was all over the temple and amongst everything. Scarlet could have been a picture towards uh, the um, temple as well. There's a lot of neat symbolisms that it could have been as well, too. I'll take the temple symbolism. That's what I love about symbolism. You know, there's a lot of neat pictures that you can look at. And the neat thing about symbolism is this. It's kind of like what we were talking about with John. Symbolism adds light to it. Just don't make it a legalistic doctrine. But it adds really neat light that puts it in deeper perspective. There's a reason why Leviticus 14 is in the Bible. There's a reason why. And I think part of the reason why, there's a reason why God said I'm using scarlet, hyssop, and cedar. And there's a reason why you see these things repeated throughout the rest of the Bible. It's just neat symbolism. And this symbolism helps bring light to stuff. All right, anybody else got anything here about this before we go on? All right, I'm going to finish with the last point, which is the first point that I made. Verse 45, why is it that when Jesus tells us not to talk, we talk, and when Jesus says, please talk now, we choose not to. 
Uh, it's just kind of a fascinating thing. I do find this also fascinating in 45. It says, however, he went out and began to proclaim it freely and to spread the matter so that Jesus could no longer openly enter the city, but was outside in deserted places, and they came to him from every direction. You see Jesus leaving the crowds again. In this world that we live in nowadays, we want everything. We want the views. We want the likes. We want the media attention. We want all of it. And I talk to some people who their whole world revolves around this online presence of how many people like something, watch something, view something. And I see the example of Jesus Christ in 45. When the crowds get too big, it's time for me to leave. What an example. is to stop and say, I'm deserting to a lonely place to get my focus where it needs to be with God the Father. What a great example for us. So I tell you, if you're that type of person... That life gets too busy to whatever, and you're biting off more than you can chew. Take a page here from the life of Christ. Go to an isolated, lonely, deserted place. Spend time with God the Father, and you will be blessed by that. Get away from the hustle and bustle of everything, and make it a preeminent importance. Jesus set that example, and you will definitely be blessed by that. can't stress that enough. Hey, let's stand here and let's pray. Lord. Thank you for touching us sinners and making us completely clean in you. Lord, thank you for your compassion towards us, your grace towards us, your mercy towards us. Lord, help us to have that same compassion towards this world that is lost. Lord, we don't want to just touch them with the staff. We want to get involved with their lives. Lord, we we don't want pity for them. We want compassion for them. Help us to truly go out and do that. And Lord, help us to also understand the importance of of the isolated, deserted time with you, to sit at your feet and just take you in in an everyday time. Thank you, Lord. We love you and we praise you in your name. Amen. Guys, have a good week and God bless.